0: Hey, it's Dr. Marissa Lee Naismith here, and I'm so honored to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. Listen, and you will be inspired by amazing healthcare practitioners, voice teachers, and music industry professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to help you live your best life every day. As singers, our whole body is our instrument, and our instrument echoes how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. So don't wait any longer. Take charge and optimize your instrument now. Remember that to sing is more than just learning about how to use the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Today's guest is Lisa Popeil, a prominent voice teacher, voice researcher, musician, author and workshop presenter. Lisa shares her music industry experiences as a female recording artist who emerged in the 1980s and how she has managed to sustain an enduring career in the industry by understanding the significance of resilience, tenacity and reinvention as a performing artist. Lisa describes how she has successfully transitioned across a variety of roles within the industry, fueled by her keen enthusiasm to learn, her natural curiosity and her love for music and the singing voice. This is a rare insight into Lisa's personal and professional journey, touring and performing with artists such as Frank Zappa and Weird Al Yankovic. In this episode, Lisa offers her pearls of wisdom based on her professional career that has spanned for over 50 years for the singing voice community to enjoy. Lisa Popeel, MFA in Voice, has studied voice for 50 years, has taught singing for over 40 years and is the creator of VoiceWorks Method, the Total Singer DVD and the Total Singer Workshop. Lisa has written on commercial vocal genres for the Oxford Handbook of Singing and Oxford Handbook of Music Education, Journal of Voice and Journal of Singing and has conducted voice research for 25 years. Her books include Sing at the Top of Your Game, Sing Anything, Mastering Vocal Styles and Daily Vocal Workout for Pop Singers CD. In addition to performing with Frank Zappa and touring with Weird Al Yankovic, her 1984 self-titled album was a Billboard Top Album Pick. So without further ado, let's welcome today's guest, Lisa Popeil. Lisa and welcome to A Voice and Beyond. It's such a pleasure to have you here today and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks for asking me, Marissa.
0: So how's LA life at the moment?
1: Well, we actually had some rain, which is, you know, big news. And uh, LA life has been this last year, for, for me, I've been very, very fortunate in that it has been a, a time of great crea- creativity, balance Uh, Being unable to travel uh, Mm -hmm. has been taking some getting used to, but I have. And uh, it's just beautiful here. It's even rainy days are beautiful here. So every day is a beautiful day. And I've had uh, time to garden and spend a lot of time outdoors and find a good balance between teaching, creating videos, watching a ton of TV and doing my exercise classes and sleeping. So it's just been a really balanced time and it's coming to a close, normal life happens. So we'll see, we'll see what that's like trying to get dip, dip our toes back into what was and what will be again. It's going to be a transition for a lot of people, including me. I haven't been to a grocery store in over a year. So I haven't done any been, yeah, I haven't done anything like that. So, um, in yeah, beginning w- of April.
0: I wouldn't be complaining about not going to a grocery store. You I wouldn't actually, complain. I, <laughs> no, I even get all my groceries delivered now. I actually don't like going to supermarkets, but that's just me.
1: I, I think there are a lot of people that are going to be having, del- they're going to get spoiled by
0: p- delivery permanently. Exactly. Now, I want to share with our listeners. How we first met. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but it was in Florence and we're at Pivot and it was, I think, 2015, if I remember correctly. And I was, I don't want to say a conference virgin because that's probably not the politically correct thing to say, <laughs> but it was one of my first conferences that I attended. And I was in awe of everybody there, including you. I knew who you were because I'd cited you in my dissertation. And, and I remember seeing you, and you were on your own. And I thought, I want to go and speak to Lisa. I want to meet Lisa. And I knew you were from LA. I really, and, and All that time I was there, I felt like an imposter and everyone was so much smarter than me. So I didn't want to go up to you and talk to you about anything to do with voice in case I said the wrong thing or that I came across as being silly or not as smart as everyone else that was there. So I remember thinking, how do I approach a singing teacher from L.A.? So I came over to you and I said, Hi, Lisa. I'm Marissa. So what do you think about the Kardashians? (laughs) Do you remember that conversation? I remember standing
1: on the patio with you, meeting you on the patio. I don't remember about the
0: Kardashians. What did I say in response? Well, you—you look, you were so gracious and so kind because you could have actually looked at me as though I was uh, some kind of weirdo, but you responded by saying that, well, as a matter of fact, I used to be uh, the babysitter for one of their friends, one of the twins, do you remember that? No, I have never babysat in my life. Really, maybe was it that you were a godmother? But you came back with a response that you somehow knew one of their oh, friends. Oh
1: yes, I have. I have a a, a god. I think I have a goddaughter That's who the one. Is, was a best friend yes. with one of the. And she was on the show. Yes, I did. I did say that. Yes, yes. I remember. Yes.
0: So I immediately felt really relaxed and then you and I started to hang out and then one of the days that we had off, we went on a bus trip to a shopping mall where where there are all the the outlets and it was Irene Bartlett, myself and, and you, on this bus and I remember you telling me the story of your life. I won't go into details as a, you know, quite personal, but you you shared quite openly your life story as a child and things that happened throughout your lifetime, and honestly, I thought I was listening to a podcast, <laughs> someone, to, and and it would have been, uh, it was just an amazing, amazing story, and if ever anyone is going on a long road trip. You need to take Lisa with you because I'm <laughs> sure <laughs> the time will fly. I was sitting there just in awe of all your stories. And so where this is all heading is that you had an extraordinary childhood. Your father in particular was an innovator, a creator, a very highly successful businessman i'd like you to maybe share a little bit about him and maybe tell us like was it hard being your father's daughter
1: well my father was a a depression era he was born in 1915 and he i don't really know why he was so driven Mm. but he and his brother didn't finish high school they lived they grew up in new york And came from a family of pitchmen, people who not only would sell things, but also demonstrate them, meaning having hand skills. And a lot of things were kitchen items, choppers and slicers and and knives. And he, in the 40s, moved to Chicago, thinking that uh, at the end of the war, that it was a, a good place to start a business. And how he went from that to having a factory with hundreds of employees. That part of the story, I'm not sure, but he and his brother started this company called Pope Hill Brothers. And they went on to really influence American selling, uh, selling techniques on early television, uh, using late night television and cheap, cheap commercial time to make very simple commercials. And his, his, um, it wasn't just him it was the whole family their idea was if you could create a product that solved people's problems mm. and make it make it available easily for them it would make a great gift for mother's day father's day for christmas uh and and they could do many things that mm. that was it wasn't just a business for him it was really yes. an art to say okay here's a problem. And I'm going to think of something or adapt something that already exists. I'm going to improve on it and, and have it do as many things as possible and then sell the, sell it like there's no tomorrow. Right. Uh, And he had, in the end, he had over 200 patents. He had, uh, uh, he wound up having one after another factories. And at Christmas time, they, they were Hundreds of people working. They had everything in house. They made the commercials in the in the building. They had the tool and die, the the, um, the assembly line in the basement, uh, the boxing, the art. He oversaw. He ever oversaw everything, and I found it fascinating. I used to love to go to the factory and just see how it all worked. Um, and then my brother. Who is a lot older than I am? Also, was in the business and started his own company called Ronco, which was actually a competitor of my father. So they they both had their television commercials and their their various products. My brother Ron Ron Popiel started with records, and uh, he, he stretched. He reached out and did more than just than just uh, kitchen items, and uh, I I. I loved it. And I think what I I gain from that or what I come naturally to the table with as a as a voice teacher is this idea of keeping things simple but exciting mm. and solving problems, coming yeah. up with solutions to everyday problems and and making uh, trying to make a living doing it. I'm not successful in the way they were because they they you know, they reached uh, around the world with the commercials and the products. Uh, I need more sleep than I think they they did, but I <laughs> I I just was inspired by it. And my father always f- said, "Whatever you want to do, Lisa," because I had no interest in the kitchen or or family life. I I wanted to I wanted to uh, do something that was uh, intellectually really stimulating that I could continue to learn in. Yeah. And he supported my music. And at, at the time, at the end of his life, he, he passed away in 1984. Uh, that was I was a singer, songwriter, musician, uh, pianist, arranger, producer, you know, with with visions of, of stars in my eyes. So he was always very supportive, you know, just how's your music doing? How's your music? And it's doing it's going great until I quit in 1987. Yes, yes, yes. But for that, that whole period of time, he was nothing but but um, really behind me. And And I started music when I was four. I started with piano lessons. We had a piano in the house. And even though my parents weren't music, weren't they didn't think of themselves as musical, mm-hmm. my father learned to play piano from a book. It was really? probably from the 1920s or 30s called 20 Lessons, Play Piano with 20 Lessons by Mail. Wow. And he was actually able to, to read music, play chunk, a chunk, a chunk with the left hand and play the melody with his right hand quite well from this 20 lesson course. So I think his, he had natural talent and his, his side of the family, the, they, they're all, a lot of them are in voice now of, of voiceover artists, musicians. Uh, incredible. So, so when I, when I was little, I thought I didn't, I didn't have any talent because I was just very ordinary as a, as a singer. I remember how I sounded and believe me, it was just very average, but um. <laughs> When I was six, my mom said, "Would you like singing lessons?" And I said, "Okay." So I just kind of said yes to everything. But the only and I but I wasn't good at a lot of things. You know, do you want to do ice skating? Okay, but I was good at anything physical. I wasn't good at mm-hmm. horseback. You know, cold—it's cold and muddy—and yes. I feel guilty about the horses. Uh, but music, I stuck with, and I just I just kept I just didn't quit. And I tell parents today, I said, just don't let them quit. Find a way to not mm. let them quit because they'll regret it. Yes. And there are moments, particularly in instrumental training, where you just you just want to explode because you're so frustrated. And I learned an important lesson about that feeling of I'm gonna oh I just wanna hit my fists on the keyboard. That that was when my brain was growing. But I came to that conclusion because the next day after that horrible feeling of I'm gonna explode from frustration, I could do. I could do it. And I thought, oh, maybe there's a relationship between that awful feeling and yeah. that my brain is actually growing. So I like to think that 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 awful feeling is actually, oh, it's a good thing. My brain is growing. And I'll ha- when I wake up after I sleep tonight, it'll be easy. And I don't know if it's really true or not, but I tell my my piano students yeah. that I tell them. Just,
0: but that's just really be easy. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a really good attitude to have and that's a an attitude of not giving up and I'm sure some of that attitude probably was inspired by what your father did and the work that he did and that curiosity and that wanting to learn and to grow and to know more and I know that about you and you are constantly uh reinventing yourself so how did you come then from being a little girl that was learning the piano to becoming a performer in the 80s?
1: Well, I started performing when I was six. Oh. And I wow. had vocal problems by the time I was seven. Oh. I don't remember that, so it may have been nodules or pre-nodules mm-hmm. because basically I would just been told to yell. I remember being six and, and singing 76 trombones at the top of my lungs. Oh. Because they'd said, Lisa, louder, louder, Lisa. And then by the time I was seven, my mother thought, there's something wrong with your voice. So she found a a voice teacher for me. Mm -hmm. And there weren't a lot of voice teachers available, and they were all classical. So we found a a nice lady from Germany who had been an opera singer of some renown in Germany. And uh, she, she took me on as a student, even though she did not accept Children under the age of fourteen, but my mother bullied her into taking me. Um, told this woman, she said, "My mom, my mom told it like it is." She said, "What, what am I supposed to do? Take it to another crappy singing teacher?" That did the trick, and. Easily Goodling, R.I.P. She just <laughs> passed away this past year in her nineties. Wow. Uh, took me on, and I I just did classical with her, and I and I enjoyed it. I loved learning languages and stepping into the world of the past. And but there were a lot of exercises uh, and not a lot of explanation. And mm-hmm. I I like to understand what I'm doing, and I think part of that comes from learning piano, because when you learn piano, you can see your fingers. Yes. And you can. See you know, you can, it's mechanical, yes. but the way singing was taught then. And to some extent now was all based on imagery and imagination and feeling vibration, but simple things like what's vibrato. I, it, it there was no explanation or what is chest voice or head voice? No, ex, you know, I just, there weren't answers. Mm-hmm. And when I was 11, I was starting to just starting to write my own songs. I was uh wow. I I was listening to Carol King and uh you know Elton John and playing along and uh maybe I was was I eleven then? No, I don't think I was eleven yet, but no, no, I, I couldn't have been listening to them because that was a was a long time ago. Yeah. I didn't realize that, that, that came later. Anyway, I, I wanted to know how people on the radio sounded. I think I've told you this story in the yes. past that because I couldn't sing like people on the radio and they had no lessons. So here I am going an hour every week to the fine arts building Mm -hmm. in, in Chicago. And I'm learning, learning, I guess. And I can't sound like anybody on the, on the radio. I would, I would, I could sound like a pop singer on the low notes, but when I went higher, I could only sing in chess voice. I had no idea how to, Keep the chest voice. I mean, head voice. Sorry, I don't know if I said that wrong. No, I, I, I couldn't saying. sound. I couldn't sound mm-hmm. like my chest voice on my high notes without it hurting, or just sounding bad. And I went to my teacher and I said, uh, with some trepidation, I have to add,
0: mm-hmm. I said,
1: I would like to learn about pop singing. Well, you could have her head blew off. She was so
0: <laughs> angry at me. <gasps>
1: He said, "If if you learn, if you try to do this kind of music, you will lose everything we have worked for." You, she just felt that if I learned pop singing, I would have vocal uh, demise, mm-hmm. and that I would probably wind up as a heroin addict oh. <laughs> because at that time, <laughs> in the late sixties, when you. Anytime she would hear anything about pop singers, they always yes. had just died at the age of 27, you know.
0: Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> and they did. And some did. <laughs>
1: and some did. But some. she didn't know anything about that world. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. And just still all these unanswered questions and still tons of exercises, very tiring, slow exercises. And in an hour lesson, 50 mm-hmm. minutes of it, were vocal exercises
0: and 10 minutes of
1: singing. And I thought, wow, it doesn't seem like a really efficient way to, to progress. You know, it seemed like there's so many wonderful songs, even just in the classical world. So I was starting to formulate what I thought was missing (laughs) from traditional pedagogy, the teaching of voice. When I was 15, I moved to California and I had my first experience in a recording studio. I won some little contest at a club and the, the the reward was an hour studio time. And I was hooked. I loved it. I was, I was so fascinated by all the equipment. This was in the early seventies when girls didn't do that stuff. They, they were the singer. They were the, pianist they the keyboard player the, the guys handled the the mechanical stuff but I mm. wanted to learn what all the buttons and levers did because I knew it would make me sound good and I am a control a controlled person I like to you know have Welcome some to the
0: club you know.
1: yeah <laughs> but that when you know what you want and I didn't but if you mm. know what you want you want to get it just right and be part of the team instead of just the girl singer <clears throat> So then what happened? Um, I kept looking for teachers and I could find either classical teachers or I could find pop teachers who really didn't, they didn't sing well. They might turn red in the face when they'd (laughs) sing or the blood vessels would pop out of the neck. So I just picked up little bits in here and there. And then I studied uh, in Arizona. I studied a couple years of humanistic psychology, continued, continued to write my own songs and my teacher, in, I went to Prescott College in northern Arizona, which was a very magical place. And my, my mentor there said, it's time for you to go, go to music school. I said, well, where should I go? And he says, well, why don't you go to CalArts? And CalArts is a short for California Institute of the Arts. And mm-hmm. it was started by the Disney family, wow. uh, Walt Disney. Incredible. And it's a, it's a the concept is wonderful. It's a small private school with five buildings, and each building has a different specialty. So there's the School of Music, the School of Art, the School of Dance, School of Theater, and School of uh, Film and Animation. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Cal Arts was really mostly a farm school for the the Walt Disney Company, and then they added the other stuff. And um, I did piano, I did composition. I don't know if, if I told you this. I did, you know, classical, contemporary classical composition, And I did classical voice. And in the meantime, I was still writing my songs at home, trying to figure out how to to take chest voice up higher without it sounding bad. And I I got a master's degree and eventually in classical voice. And uh, as soon as I got out of school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a a boyfriend. My boyfriend at the time was a big Frank Zappa fan and said, Frank is uh, Zappa's doing an audition For his upcoming tour, and my my boyfriend was a drummer, and um, and I said, well, I'll I'll go with you. I'll just Mm. go with you, and you know, just give him some moral support, help him set up his drums, whatever. So I went, and long story short, and it is a long story. I wound up auditioning, (laughs) even though I didn't know anybody, I didn't know the music. I mean, I had heard of Frank Zappa, and I I heard his reputation as being, um. Let's say challenging music in the least, and Mm -hmm. I, I have gifts and deficits like most people. My gift is I can sight read. I can particularly piano. I can sight read, but I my deficit, and it's a big one. I can't memorize because I'm. Right, it's like I overtrain that part of my brain, and the other part of my brain that memorizes, it's is not. It's hardly there at all. It's all shriveled up. So anyway, I was in the band um, as the comedy relief mostly, kind of sexy comedy relief because I I could make him laugh. And I, but it was four hours of, of quite unplayable music on the, on the very beginning of synthesizers. So it was Mm -hmm. where you had to program every element of the sound. This was in 81. Yes. Learn all this music and sing. I was doing, I thought what would be funny would be to sing operatically, but with, Lounge lizard jazz phrasing or stylings. And I just think that was funny. And he did too. So I kept it up. And then he'd say things like, Well, do you play saxophone? And I'd say, No. He goes, Well, try. So I got a saxophone, borrowed a saxophone, could not play it. I just not couldn't, couldn't imagine. I just. I would honk. I would honk and then I'd say, he'd, he'd laugh, fall off his seat. And, uh, you know, and I said, Well, I have a violin, which I also couldn't play. So I brought the violin and, you know, just funny, funny stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't last long because they really needed a a, a really experienced touring keyboard player. I, I, I was not that. I was a, just out of college, 25, what, a, 24, 25. Uh, the singing I had, it was the, yes. the key four hours of music that, you know, only superhumans could play and memorized mm-hmm. and in any key and in any style. I forgot to mention that. It's like, okay, we're oh doing it goodness. country. Like, you know, don't give me something to read here. <laughs> yeah. I'll play it for you. Yeah. But I did get to perform uh, with him at a amazing, ex- maybe one of the greatest experiences of my life, performing my very first time for 5,000 people. In lingerie, um, I think I may have been the first person in panties, bra, and um, hooker heels uh, on a, a rock stage because that was before Prince came out in his little lingerie bit. Uh, <laughs> that was a big yes. hit.
0: <laughs> um, I remember seeing footage of you in a French maid's outfit. Like, yeah, the there's, there's,
1: there's photos online. There is photos online, yes, and
0: they are I, I, still there, you know, people. <laughs> Yeah, so
1: yeah, you know, prepare yourself. I hope you don't think less of me, but you know it's showbiz, oh, and yes, I knew yes. my job was to make the boss happy, and I knew he was a sexist, <laughs> yeah. borderline misogynistic kid, really, just an old kid, and I just knew his audience would go nuts, and and mm-hmm. they, and they did. I started with a little apron, but that came off, <laughs> and I still I still do co- uh, conferences. I'm still got conferences on the brain. I still occasionally do um, Zappa festivals. So I was supposed to be in Norway last November, and that's been postponed to probably, hopefully, this coming November mm-hmm. for uh, a, a Zappa festival. And I still wear completely inappropriate but memorable outfits as I, you know, do my my three songs that <laughs> I'm known yes. for in the
0: yes. So,
1: yes. so that was, um it was great. And, and then I just, then I decided to really hit the music business real hard. And I did that for six years and I, I wrote a lot of eighties pop, funk, some ballads. And uh, I, I've still, and I, and I'm, I'm, I've got a couple of songs up, up in contention for a, an upcoming Emma Thompson movie. So I'm trying to taking all my old material and and yes. working with a music supervisor, so hopefully it'll they'll live again. You know, yes. I wrote I some some of the demos. I'm playing all the instruments. They're synth, but I'm playing all of them and mm-hmm. singing and wrote the songs. And I just want them to have a life beyond their little closet shelf thing.
0: Yes, I've I've heard a lot of your music that you wrote in the 80s and wrote and recorded in the 80s that you've kind of been slowly leaking out to us uh, teasing us with that music and it's really good like I don't know how you were never signed I mean there were so many artists in the 80s that didn't have half the talent their music wasn't half as good How were you like, I did have
1: have a a record deal,
0: but the, but they,
1: I think they picked the wrong song. They, they did a song that was a ballad. And and a ballad is not how you break a new artist. It's Mm. just how you break a new artist. So, uh, but it taught me about that, that the music business and maybe the, the entertainment business is not a meritocracy. It's it's so much about luck. I mean, I felt I had everything going for me, and I still couldn't break through. And and the, it one of the problems was rap started, and when this sort of what I believe, forgive me, any rap fans out there. Mm. To me, it was a a non musical style, kind yes. of a yeah. uh, kind of a cultural coarsening. Of, of popular music that exists mm-hmm. to this day. If anyone saw the Grammys last night, what what is offensive is now entertainment or the norm. Mm-hmm. And I think, am I just too old? And I am I a prude? No, no. I was a, I felt this way when Madonna hit the scene and was sort of humping lampposts in, in her videos. I had that same mm-hmm. feeling of, I want the music. I want entertainment, but do yes. I have to be? Does it have to be shocking? To yes. I mean, I guess I did my share. I have a music video you will never see. That's yeah, it's very hypersexualized. But there's still, I always felt we should have some class because yes. musicians and entertainers are role models, and I I feel like we should uplift and empower, not basin and base be more base or coarse in ourselves, or make ourselves into overtly sexual objects Mm -hmm. but I'm just ranting about now. No um, no
0: there's something that that uh, I just like to touch upon uh, based on what you've just said and firstly when you were talking about Frank Zappa and you were saying that you know, as a woman, you knew that you had to behave in a certain way, you had to conduct yourself in a certain way, you had to look a certain way. I mean, at any point, did you feel that that was degrading? Or was it something that you thought, well, if I want to work, I have to do this and just suck it up and zip it?
1: No, I, I, it, 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 actually, I did not feel degraded or manipulated in any way. Oh, Everything I did and what I wore was for his delight, and I have this idea that that when you wear something that makes people, women too, feel a kind of delight, mm-hmm. even if it's a little hypersexualized, I, I think that's a gift you give people. So there's mm-hmm. this. Where's the line then is the question between crass and uh, interesting or artful versus vulgar. And I, I, I didn't want to get into vulgar, but um, it was, so everything I did for him was because it was to me, the correct artistic decision at at the bottom of it was because I wanted to, but after the show in, in December of 81, he, he brought me in and was working in a studio. He brought some other music out and wanted me to record it. And there was one song and I felt that the, the content, the lyrical content was misogynistic uh-huh. in a way that I, I, I didn't want to be associated with it. And I told him that, and I, I never worked with him again. Uh, right. So I, you just go with what you feel comfortable yeah. with. This idea that the, 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 <laughs> the more crass I am, but it works. You see in the yeah. business, I'm wondering yeah. sometimes to my dismay, and I'd like to talk with you about this is I wonder if being a good singer, really just, if it matters anymore, or mm-hmm. just having, just showing a lot of skin and, and putting your legs in, in very, you know, gynecological yeah. Yeah. positions. Yes. And just, it just, and rapping is, is that what really matters now? Is that the only yeah. way you can have yeah. a career? Yeah. Am I yeah. leading people down a way an alley that's there's no way they can do it mm-hmm. if they they're have talent and they have looks and they have ambition? Yes. Is there any yes. op, is there any chance for them? You know what 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 do you yes. think when you see yes. what's been going Look, on in our business?
0: Yes. Look, I think that you know there's a problem. With women in the industry, and it's for women in the industry. I think that the industry is definitely highly sexualized. And unless women are wearing skimpy clothing, or you are someone totally different, like Adele, who was just magical, you know, you have to. I, I feel that there's like an assembly line happening. What is in today, you, you have to grab those five minutes, do whatever you can to get your five minutes of fame, and then the assembly line moves on to the next product. And music is written that way. It's written, at the, it's written in a way to be consumed. It's like music has become like the McDonald's, a fast food industry, where mm-hmm. what's in today is gone tomorrow. The flavours are changing all the time. And what's unique is it no longer exists and is music going to be memorable? No. And I feel that not only is it a tough call for women and I feel that there was always this issue of the casting couch for women in the industry and I know this for a fact in, here in Australia and uh, so that, there's that problem where women have to sometimes do things that they're not happy to do in order to have that fame. But I think too that music artists have a responsibility to the emerging artists and some of those are the young children that are listening to this music. And young children have become highly desensitised to swearing, to adult themes and also to what they see the performers wearing is be, as being normal. And I know this because I work with young children and when they bring a song to me, the first thing I ask them is, is there swearing in the song?
1: Wow. And
0: And usually the answer will be I'm not sure because they just don't know anymore. They're so used to it. It's so part of the normal. And I tell you, like I'm teaching in a religious school at present and I would be fired if, if the principal happened to walk in at a point of time where one of those explicit words comes up randomly because the child forgets that it's there oh my gosh, I would not have a job. I would have been fired so many times because the kids don't even remember, they don't know that those words, that language is there anymore. So, and then even when they do, they still beg me to sing the song because they love that song. So we do have a bit of a problem going on in the music industry. Is it a problem that's new? I think there's always been problems, but the problems have been changing. The problems evolve as the music industry evolves. So we have a new set of problems to what we would have had, say, back in the 80s. So that's my very long answer to a very short question, Lisa.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a new student this week who's actually very talented. And Mm -hmm. when I asked her before we met, I asked her to send me a little video of her singing. And I heard something that I'd never actually heard myself before, and that is that when she sang not only was every note in tune, but she sang as though her voice were auto-tuned. And oh. she was singing a cappella. Mm-hmm. And I've heard about this, but I've never experienced it. And I was yeah. shocked because I don't even know if I could d- imitate that. And I mm-hmm. asked her if she knew what auto-tune was, and she didn't. Yeah. And I talked about, about how singing in tune is really a gift. But I also said that, and i told her a little bit about autotune and what it is and where it started and how it's used and i said that really good singers cuz i think she could be really good cuz yes. obviously she has an incredible ear uh, that that really good singers are don't sound like machines no and,
0: and nor do they,
1: they need to nor yes nor do they need <laughs> to they just have to be in tune enough mm-hmm. so they don't sound out of tune Mm-hmm. But I because I'm, I'm a producer, too. So when I see someone and I, you know, I look at each note that yes. they're singing and I don't I only retune or change the tuning if something is obviously out of to everything I let leave there because it adds to the feeling. But I realized that one of besides just teaching her the basic skills of voice, um, because she doesn't know any any of that. Uh, and it's my, my pleasure to to show her the basics because it they work right away and she was just sounded so much better in yes. half an hour. Um, but I've realized that one of my jobs, and I think this would apply to you too, is exposure, exposing people to great singing, to mm-hmm. great singers of the past. And talk yes. about how these singers are revered and uh, are appreciated for decades not just for the next five years yes. also song styles I'll say you know see how this song you know yeah it it, it feels good it's fun to sing along with but there's it has no melody yes. and I said it has no melody so therefore I don't really know we'll see I may be wrong but I don't think we'll be people will be enjoying this song as much in 20 years because absolutely something natural about we want melody instead yes. of just two notes or three notes over and over again yes. with a good
0: Yeah. And I think TikTok in as much as, you know, people boohoo technology, but TikTok is actually doing a good thing at the moment. There's a lot of music that is coming back to life again due to TikTok. Mm. And uh, people singing along with People it? singing or- old music. Yes, so it's given a lot of those old tunes. For example, "Sweet Dreams" by Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. Oh no, was it no? Well, Uh, here I go again. You know that. Yeah, the guy on the
1: yeah with the cranberry juice. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: For example, I mean, a lot of today's generation would never have heard of Fleetwood Mac if it wasn't for TikTok, and Mm -hmm. that's what's happening. There are songs that I say to my students, "Okay, because there is such a, a small." number of songs that they can actually sing that's in the charts at the moment. We have to revisit old music. And the number of times I pull up a song, one was Put Your Records On by Corinne Bailey Ray, I think that was her name. Girl put your records on. You know, yeah. What yeah. They they love it, right? TikTok. They love it. It's TikTok. I play 70s, I play 80s,
1: and yeah I, I hardly ever find someone says I don't like it. Now, I let them do what they want to do first, yes. so they know that I'm, I'm with them, I support them, and I'm not putting their tastes down. Exactly. But then That's I say, important. I have an idea. I, I can hear you doing this. Yes. Tell me if you like this. And they, yes. they, what's not to like? They like the melody. They like the the, the rhythm of it. Mm. And my happiest students are the ones whose parents, I mean, because I'm not working with with kids anymore, but... Or oh, I'm trying not to, <laughs> but um, when their parents play all the great music from the '60s, yes. '70s, and yes. '80s, and that's what yes. the kids like. That's my favorite. I hate yes. what's on the radio now. Yes. And I know. Okay, this is gonna work.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> with me. I know. I had a boy the other day. Well, I shouldn't say boy. Eighteen-year-old um, student who because uh, uh, and he's a, a second year student at the Conservatorium of Queensland in the popular music program where I teach in. And I introduced him to David Bowie music oh. because these kids have not even heard of artists like David Bowie. And he loved the music and he ended up choosing a David Bowie song. But nice. yeah, but I'm going to take. The discussion back a little bit now, because one of the things uh, that I would really love to talk to you about, and I'm so fascinated with, and I've heard this before from you, and I think our audience would absolutely love to hear about your experiences on the road with Weird Al Yankovic. Now, because you know the the show is basically centred around self-care and this pertains to being a singer and a female singer on the road touring with a rock band and what that experience was like and how your self-care had to really kick in. So maybe the first question would be um, with that tour I know it was a number of months many many shows maybe you can tell our listeners what that kind of de- vocal demand was like for you and what yes. was that vocal demand
1: yes it was I knew it was going to be a once in a lifetime experience and I wanted to really soak it up so I was you know, in my 60s and here's my 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 first experience uh on a tour bus it was uh, the summer of 2019 and it was three months uh, around the U.S. and Canada, it was a total of sixty-seven shows. Oh my goodness! Sixty-five cities. So there were a couple of places where he has a big fan base, particularly like Seattle, where we would do two shows a day. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I'm trying. I can't remember where we also did two shows a day, but um, mostly it was one one show. And we the, the band that he works with. Uh, have been with him for decades, and I started working with Al in the very beginning of his career. The second album, he wrote a song called "Mr. Popiel." Oh. Again, long story about why he wrote "Mr. Popiel." Oh, that's so and cute. Some great photos available out there if you if you look hard enough of me performing with him, uh, you know, start so recording recording uh, with him. In fact, it was funny because the his record label turned out to be the record label I had my deal with with no connection. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was something, but so I have been on a lot of his albums over the years and in 2018 he, he said, I want to do something different for my next tour because he'd usually just gone out with the band. He said for 2019, I want to have a full orchestra uh, and a conductor and backup singers because he never had backup singers would you would you like to to come on the tour and i had to think about it for yeah. a few seconds because that would be a whole summer without teaching and and, and i didn't know how, how well i'd be because i was planning to tour with frank zappa and i was given this big talk about how how warlike it is to go on tour you know especially in the winter time because frank would say uh, it's going to be 90 degrees on stage. It's going to be 40 degrees off stage. You know, if you've got a fever and diarrhea, you don't leave the stage. You know, so he was giving me this talk about mm-hmm. the touring is like commando warfare. Those yes. were Frank Zappa's words. Yes. So I had this idea of how hard it was going to be. Well, it it, it wasn't partly because the it's like it was like family. I brought in the mm-hmm. two other girls, the uh, two other backup singers. So I had a history with them. They were talented. We liked each other. We were committed to being there for each other. I knew the guys in the band uh, it was my first time on a tour bus. And I really took to it. I had no problem sleeping in that little thing. that I called it a coffin because it was so yes. small and we were treated really nicely. We had we, unlike other tours I've heard about in other tours, Things things I've heard are things like don't talk to the artist
0: mm-hmm.
1: or um, or there was something else. You just don't complain, don't say anything, yes. especially your job. a woman. Yeah, yes, this was more like family, mm-hmm. and there was squabbling. You know, this because we're all a bunch of kooky people, but it was like family, and um, there was a lot of love. And and Al was very is a very warm person. People. A lot of people don't realize what a what a warm, um, caring person he is. So he helped create an environment where we were all in it together and the work was not that difficult. Uh, The challenge is that it wasn't hard on our voice. It was a one and a half hour show. Mm -hmm. We were center stage, which was so amazing. We weren't off in the corner in the dark. I was right behind Al every night. There was a 40. To sixty-piece orchestra behind me, oh, wow! And, and a conductor, and so th- there was no variation. I mean, th- there were problems with uh, the inner monitors. That was very challenging because it sounded completely different every night, and I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. So vocally, there was not a single problem. The only problem vocally, because I've been uh, coaching Al through the last thirty-five years or whatever with his voice. And he started to lose his voice the first week.
0: Oh, really? And he was really
1: freaking about. Oh, yes. And it was because he had had a lesson with someone else. Someone said, "You got to go see this person in, in L.A." And he'd come out of the lesson with what exercises? Forty, you know, like a CD of mm. these really violent sounding. I mean, in oh my, my really loud and really rough on the voice. Wow. Because I think myth, particularly among a lot of LA teachers, that if you just do your exercises, you'll be great. You know, and I don't. I am a not exercise person. I am if yeah. you know how to how to sing, then rest your voice, do a little warm-up, check your voice, see how it is, and then save it for the stage. Exactly. So I just said, here's what I recommend. I said, I would not do those exercises. We you don't hear us warming up. If we're singing, it's because we want to sing. It's it's we're checking our voices out. We're but we don't have like a routine warm-up. so just try it. Don't imagine you're already warmed up. Because after the show he'd have maybe a two-hour meet and greet. So he was yes. using his voice here. Yes. And as soon as he stopped using that that exercise CD, his his voice was perfect for the rest of the tour. He never had a single problem. So to me, that just reaffirms this idea that there's this myth that warming up is, is everything. And to me, it is not, it is knowing how to sing and, and saving it for the stage. And then, and, and then, um, protecting your voice and using less voice, not more voice to keep your voice when you have an intense voice to use. And he was 60, 61 at the time. And he would be screaming some of the songs. And, and then uh, uh, he's just got an am- amazing underrated voice because he'll be screaming and growling one second. And the next he's singing this sweet ballad with this floating falsetto. it, it yeah, he's and, and he's running around the audience doing handstands and running around and costume changes. One of the most uh, difficult things was was performing outdoors when it's ninety degrees and ninety percent humidity. Yes, thank goodness I and the other ladies could wear little, but mm-hmm. the guys had costume changes, including full neoprene, or for the Star Wars part, they were wearing wool. So there, you know, really, it was. So the heat and the humidity of a summer tour was tough. Yeah, I had been very concerned about getting sick. Yes, so and
0: this I this disgusting. I had did.
1: Had I did out. get sick. Mm-hmm. I I missed one night only, which for me was really good. That's I really I, good. I only missed one night, Milwaukee. I had a, a fever, and and um, uh, it was flu-y, I guess, and. And then I had a slight fever for another six weeks. When I say slight, I mean really slight fever yes. for the next six weeks. And and it's because we'd be on the bus. We'd, we'd be on the bus about midnight, 1230. The bus would leave and it would drive to our hotels. And again, we were so lucky. We got our own individual hotel room at very nice places. I just love hotels. Excellent. And I, but we might get there at 3 a.m., or 4 a.m. or 5 or 6 or mm-hmm. 7 usually mm-hmm. it was around 4 or 5 we would get but sometimes it was 3 a.m. and then we'd have to quickly wake up if we were sleeping yes dress get out get your suitcase get into your hotel room and go back to sleep so um i was getting we were getting a ton of sleep us us girls might get together in the beginning of the tour we'd get together for lunch or one o'clock, we'd go and see the sights together. And then the van would pick us up around four or five, five, four o'clock to take us to the venue with the band. But as the tour went on, we just stayed in our rooms. And you yes. could just sleep until the van picked you up, basically, yes. if you wanted to. So yes. sleep, sleeping a lot was not an issue. Uh-huh. Having privacy and quiet and a lovely environment, not an issue. We had to eat. We didn't have lunch provided. So you had to figure out what you were going to do about eating during the day. Mm-hmm. But then when we'd get to the venue, it was all catered. And they had a whole vegan section. And they had a whole non-regular carnivore section. The food, for the most part, was fantastic. That's so And then the show yeah. usually 8 o'clock, 8. 8: 8, 8, 30 we'd start singing because mm-hmm. the orchestra played for half an hour. Then we'd sing from 8 30 to 10, and then there was the meet and greet if we wanted to go, or we could just go back to the bus. So sleep was not an issue, yes, and I'm really grateful. But even so, I did. I was fighting something, and it was fatigued. I was so blessed, though, because many of the days that I had this fever, it would dissipate at night. And so, by the time I'd get on stage, I wasn't hundred percent, but I didn't feel like I had a fever. Yes, yes. And I, I felt like I was, I was living this. This it was a natural thing. I'd stand off stage, look at thousands of happy faces, whether it was in some indoor fabulous movie palace from the 1930s, or whether we're outside. Um, every day was just. I can't believe this. I just. And also, and the fans just love him, and they're good people. You know, these aren't violent people. They're all a bunch of nerds, and and an owl for them is is somebody who tell who's basically the message is: it's okay to be different. It's okay to not, not be beautiful. It's okay mm-hmm. to be smart. It's okay to be a nerd. Yes, and and they're so appreciative. Wow. And I, people I'd meet, I'd take, get people backstage and and fans, I'd meet super fans and they, Mm. you know, I'd get them backstage and, and get to meet them. And one, you know, some memorable moments, like one, one couple said, Lisa, you know, this is just another show for you. But for us, this is one of the greatest experiences of our lives and one that we will cherish forever. That's incredible. The, that, that's, the gratitude that's, of these yeah. fans for their love of Al, the love of his music. And no matter what, I said, well, what's it going to be like when he does another tour and there's no orchestra and there's no backup singers? And, and he said, he said so most people said to me, in fact, almost all people said, we don't care what he does. Whatever he does, we know will be great because he'll really put his you know, his mind into it and he'll he'll make it. It'll be great. So I was yeah. glad because to me, it wasn't gonna get better for his fans than this music in in this show with so much we had choreography. I was dancing my little tourist off <laughs> for an hour and a half. So that was your exercise for the tour. That was it. That was <laughs> that was all he had <laughs> he to
0: do yeah choreography and I've yeah. really owned it like yeah I, I can dance. imagine you doing that Lisa you I'm are pretty that. good girls you are, are I can, everything I got, I got it going on yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely um so I remember when we're at ICVT in Stockholm and you're on a panel you you would uh and you we were talking, the panel was discussing uh, the tour demands for a, a pop singer.
1: Yes. It was interesting because I I, uh, I entered. I brought in my friends, Kim Chandler, yes. and it was Craig Lees to, yes. no, no, I'm sorry, not Craig Lees. He was our host. And he what was, a wonderful yes. host he was. Yes. Uh, he was Daniel oh Zanger Borch. Uh, Daniel Zanger Borch. Because mm-hmm. they had actually toured, and I hadn't, in 2017. Yeah. And, but I had a lot of ideas because I've worked with with rock singers, and I had a lot of, like, tricks and gimmicks and things, which I provided, you know, with to, to Al, too, as gifts, you know, whether it's the big straw, the lax box straw, or the, the vocal mist, uh, uh, USB vocal, you know, the, the mist... Again, nothing is a substitution for for no, having the mechanism of, of knowing how to sing. But he knew because we worked for years on that. Yeah. Um, so, and I thought it was so interesting that that I had the most to say, even though I'd never done it before. And if I were to do that same topic again, I think I could do it by myself now. because mm-hmm. I've actually I've actually lived it, and I I knew this was never going to happen again. Uh, you know he he'll never have backup singers again. And if he if he said would you, I would say yes, because to see the United States, to see Canada, uh, it was just gorgeous. I went to places that I I never would have gone to my whole life. One of the craziest moments was we were on the bus. The it's in the morning. We get the bus goes on a ferry. We were in going from. Um, uh, we're going from Vancouver to the Island of Victoria and you wake up, you pile off the bus, you're on a boat,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you get off
1: the bus and you're on a boat and you go up and then there's the ocean. <laughs> it's like, wow, so amazing. You know, when do you just get out of bed and now you're on a boat <laughs> with ocean, you know, it's just those yes. kind of moments and got to see yeah. my friends and all these different cities that, that I get to meet with. And, uh, it was, but I know I don't think most tours are as beautiful and memorable no. as ours was. No. We just had a, the right amount of people, and we we took care of each other. Yes, and I've I've heard a lot of horror stories yes. about back years on tours. That was not ours. We still reminisce. We, we realize how, uh, how how special it was, but also knowing that it would probably never happen again for us. Mm-hmm. The other two singers are professional session singers. They do a lot of session work, and I teach full time. Um, so we knew it was something that uh, was was never to be recreated.
0: Yes, uh, I remember you telling me the story that or sharing the news that you were going to go on on tour with Weird Al, and and you said that you were concerned of how you were going to deal with it, but you very much did have that attitude. I've got this opportunity. And I'm going to run with it. And all I was thinking was that bag of pills and all those potions and all those things that you brought out in mm-hmm. Stockholm. And I could see them in your luggage and you sharing all this with everyone else on tour. But I'm you glad I'm glad that it was positive for you because. For a lot of people, it's not. It's not a positive experience. And I've been one of those people where I've been on tour with a rock band and it was not a positive experience. Every aspect of it, I had no sleep, I had bad food, I couldn't take care of myself. And I was working with all men who had little regard for women. And mm. if I complained, it was, oh, yeah, just typical woman complaining. Even when I had valid reasons to complain such as, hey, I'm the lead singer, I sing every song for four hours and I can't hear myself, it was like, well, that's in your mind, we're we're doing everything we can. But it was just the stage set up and they wouldn't listen, they had no respect. So I'm really glad that for you it was positive and that it ticked all the boxes for you that you had privacy that that all these ca- things came together and it was something that you look back on with great joy that that's fantastic and, and,
1: and gratitude we also have felt a lot of gratitude about it you know a lot of the, some of the things were of, that were of concern other things um, I was right to have concerns about but that still you know nothing's easy or perfect Mm. in life. And once you realize that nobody has it all, nobody gets it all. That's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life that for every pro, there's a con. And when you think that nothing's, nothing's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You have good days and bad days. uh, And you just have to keep trying to, 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 you know, do your best and stay positive and have an attitude of gratitude. As corny as that is, it really, really makes a difference and but then was just plain luck luck of having people around me that that uh, I had relationships with that I mean even the bus driver the bus it was so fun his bus driver he was a good old boy from Alabama and sometimes it would be in the morning and I'd be sitting with him up there and we we had nothing in common and we just we cared about each other and he would talk about his life and I'd care about we talk about my life and we'd just shoot the breeze. And I remember talking to him after the tour and just saying, Well, where are you? Because, well, I'm 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 here. I'm here. I was well, how's it going? always oh, shit, I hate it. It's terrible. I said, What's going on? Oh, well, they you know, they just would ignore him or put him in these mold-ridden dumps, you know, terrible mm-hmm. tour manager. And uh, you know, he said, I said, Well, you gonna quit? He goes, Hell no, I'm not gonna quit. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> Uh, but, you, you know, know, I'm just
1: going to tell him I'm not staying in that dump. You yeah. get me a real hotel. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. in the lobby until you get, you know, it was just just this hellacious, more typical story of of it. But he, but he wasn't going to quit. You know, I thought, well, good for you. You just but yeah. stick up. Yeah. How do you stick up for yourself without alienating people? And I exactly. think women have a harder time with that. We tend to we want to be liked and we're afraid if we're too tough uh, it's only going to make for more problems. So, yeah. so I, I understand that. Yes, so there's just a lot of luck. And as I was saying earlier in our conversation, uh, nothing's fair. Nothing's a meritocracy. And uh, you just you just take opportunities when they come, and be as good as you can be for the job. Exactly. And sometimes lie. You know. Sometimes take things you're not competent for. I mean, that's a famous a famous entertainment story, or maybe any job, which is, can you do this? Sure. You know, and then you like, and then figure it out,
0: figure it out. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes
1: it works. Sometimes that's the beginning of
0: a career. Yes. (laughs) So all these experiences that you've had, would you say that they have had a great impact in the way that you teach in your voice studio? Do you feel feel that if you didn't have these performance experiences that you hadn't had a performance background that you would teach very differently?
1: That is a wonderful question and I've never been asked that and I thank you for that question. As I think about it I think my ideas about performance and what makes a good performer really started as a teenager because mm-hmm. I was always singing in musicals or recitals and then operas and then little, you know, at home recitals with my songs. And I, I realized early on that in order to be a good performer, it was about the audience and about being charismatic and not thinking about myself every second
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I had to perform sick a lot. I used to be sick. I used to have migraines or cramps or bladder infections, wow. which I'm completely healthy now compared to how I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I was used to singing with colds and bronchitis and flus and fever and oh, near laryngitis uh, I was used to that, and and not making it the audience's problem. Yeah. So, more advanced or the more professional experiences I had were don't inform my teaching except to say I've actually done it. And so many teachers I know have never done that. They've gone to college, they they go right and start their own voice studio. They've never, aside from just doing their their bachelor's recital. If that uh, now they're teaching other people and they never had you know thousands of people out there and the 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 the, the stress not but you know it's, it's a yes. different experience than yes. singing for friends and family in a in a college setting so it's given me more confidence in a way to feel like I have something to offer but but really my teaching is based on my childhood and teenage frustrations that I wasn't getting simple answers to questions that I thought every, every singer, why wouldn't every singer want to know what their range is? Mm -hmm. Even now I meet very few singers, professional singers who actually know which notes their vocal cords can produce. They know their workable range, their comfortable range, but they don't know their absolute range to me. Be a pianist and not know the notes on my keyboard is crazy. Mm-hmm. So things like that, or the book, because I wasn't a naturally good singer and I'd have vocal problems and issues. I wanted to solve them and I couldn't get, there were no solutions. So yes. back to my family and this idea of, you know, there's problems, there's solutions, there's value. I, that's really informed my teaching. I want to have every lesson with a student be as mind-blowing as possible so they instead of thinking oh in six months of doing exercises we'll begin our first song and there are teachers who still do that not as many i do know that (laughs) they they can't keep students because it's like okay i just i'm bored now i'm not i'm no and i'm no better so um but I have met a few p- teachers much to my shock and chagrin that still have that attitude. Um, I want to get to the songs. I, technique is not the goal. There's so many songs. There's so much to know about writing songs because I'm still a songwriter. People mm-hmm. still pay me. My students still pay me some to write songs for them. And then I produce the songs and yes. I, I do, I teach wow. them, about I, background. So I'm still taking everything I've ever learned about Mm -hmm. acting, about dance, about choreography, about gesture, about patter, how do you put a set together, um, about recording technology, depending on what their interests are, the more I have to offer, the the longer they'll stay with me, the more value they get. I do laryngeal massage, I do anxiety reduction, I do uh, accent reduction. Um, I work with, with professional speakers to uh, speech improvement uh-huh. or working with attorneys or cartoon voice people. Uh, anything I know uh-huh. is what I, I can offer people so that there's always something fascinating or, or pertinent to what, what their needs are or what I think their needs are. And it, it, prov- I just don't. I just think vocal exercises is tend to be this pit of of activity and endeavor, and it it can be a dark pit. Instead of I'm going to use exercises for a goal, and here's what the goal is, and we're going to do this this way for this goal, so that we can move on from there. Mm. And, And what is expression? And and I have articles and videos and. How do I move people? How do I make people feel something? And I, I always tell my students, I said, your job as a singer, if you want to be a performer, is to take your listener on an emotional journey. Exactly. Take them out of their dull, mundane, boring everyday lives. Yes. And transport them for a few minutes or more. Yes. And your technique is just this thing that allows you to feel what I call the three C's. You have consistency, well you have control of your voice so it doesn't bail on you. You it, that and then that will make you consistent so you don't have good days and bad days, you just have some kind of good days and that leads to confidence because confidence yeah. is one of the big things that young singers lack. They say I don't feel confident and I go okay, let's go back. What how do you get confident? Control, then consistency, that will lead to confidence and that will allow your artistic mind to take over and you're in the background processing is the the technique which you can uh, you can go to if you need it but mostly it's just working in the automation mode That's and neat. you're just enjoying that you're in the flow of creativity and feeling electric and and creating an electric feeling for your for your audience uh, and, and and i think so many singers and t- teachers just they, they forget about the joy, the joy part. And that oh, I'm so on the same so, page. Yeah. So joy yeah. and adding to the joy of other people uh, and, and, and how to be fearless with your voice without of course, hurting it. And yes. how do we not hurt our voices? I'll say, here are the things you don't want to do. You never want to press your vocal cords. I don't care how loud you're going to be. There are other strategies to sound loud but never press. And uh, there are some very popular vocal pedagogies taught widely in the world where pressing the vocal folds is accepted. And to me, it is the voice killer if somebody sings a lot. Mm. So I'm very opinionated when it comes to uh, what to avoid and and what to focus on. I'm a big support person. I believe that if you have good posture and support, a lot of problems will just go away. So I always start with that because that's usually what's missing. No matter how many years they've studied voice, those two, not just stand up straight and sing from your diaphragm. I mean, precision strategies for posture and support that makes everything better with the goal of getting to the song sooner.
0: Yes. No, that sounds amazing. And I agree with so much of what you said i think it's so important that teachers remember that the joy of singing needs to be there and it needs to be there in the lesson not only to teach singers how to bring joy to their audience but also as teachers that we bring joy to the student in that lesson that the the student leaves feeling better about themselves than when they first arrived now we're going to wrap this up lisa and one thing I know about you that, well, actually I know quite a few things about you because we're good <laughs> friends, but one thing that, that I love about you is that you're such a geek and you are a nerd as well. And people may not know this. You love information. You love new knowledge. You are so curious by nature and you can't get enough of all those things. Um, so I'd like to know what you're working on right now. So where do you see yourself going in the next 12 months? What new products or what are you working on?
1: Well, um, research-wise, I've done some, uh, uh, I think, I I like to think groundbreaking research into uh, vocal registers across the range, and uh, that that high-speed video research is now being revisited with uh, the, universe, the University of Wisconsin at Madison lab and, and the team there, and I'm, I'm and I'm getting some uh, uh, reaching out to to uh, various friends and colleagues who may have access to high speed. So maybe we we could talk about this later. Okay. But um, there's a particular task to recreate what I did, so we can have a, a larger sampling. So it's not just me. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, let's talk about that sometime and I'll tell you exactly what the task is and, okay. and maybe I'd love to have you I'd participate.
0: Oh, absolutely. In it. I'll be there. Finding high
1: speed video is very rare because those, those pieces of equipment are easily $60,000 and they're not, not easy to, you know, you have to find the right lab, mm. you know, anyway, so we'll talk. Um, so that, that research project is ongoing and, um, I've had a lot a lot of requests for a, um, kind of a, an in-depth teacher training course, and I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking what would be the best format? Would it be video only? Would it be uh, Would it be live and yes. videotape that? So I'm thinking about making lists of topics that that I would not necessarily share with the public. Mm-hmm. But I've been you know next year. This is really shocks me. But next year. It will be 60 years since I started my interest in singing and learning about singing.
0: But you're and only 21. I know. How did that happen? How does that happen? I don't understand.
1: <laughs> so, I, you know, my passion and my, my mission really is to share my life's work everything I know and everything I will continue to know and share it oh. with with teachers specifically I, I want to really focus on on working with teachers only um, so that they can spread the good word and you know, any you know any style from opera RB belting jazz country uh-huh. um, so they just have more tools so that they can, a lot of the teachers, you know, they need a little tweaking of their voices as well, and and just just the stuff they didn't learn. They didn't yeah. learn, it, you know, from one teacher or from from college. So that's my goal for the next twenty years: is to continue doing research, continue working with teachers uh, uh, in any style, and continuing to travel and get back to doing all the conferences. I had five European trips planned last year, all, Mm -hmm. all canceled. So, uh, I'll, I'll be (laughs) hoping to go back and, and, and I'd like to do more in in Australia, in in Asia, uh, and you know, whatever people want or need that. I just want to say, well, let me, let me share, you know, and, and I've also worked in, in medical, some medical settings talking about, uh, some medical things related to to singing and to um, pulmonary function, and so I, I just like doing all kinds of, stuff. and I still like writing the songs and and producing music and for my my students who have always dreamed of it and envisioned it, but didn't. I've just tried to intuitively be there them mm-hmm. and create something for them that that may lead to something else or just be you know like a dream come true. Yeah. But travel, travel, travel is. Yes. Um, is I'll really see you there
0: great. somewhere, I'm sure. But oh, we will see each other yeah. at least once a year. We have to make that al- happen. Well, we always have until COVID. But Lisa, <laughs> you are so generous. You are one of the kindest people that I know. Oh, and thank you. yes, and I really appreciate your time on this podcast. I appreciate
1: you taking all your time to to let me, you know, rant and give my opinion
0: and share my, to you all my stories. No, you've been so generous and I'm sure we're going to catch up soon and I'm sure the listeners are going to love listening to all your stories and, and thank you for sharing with me and with them. And we look forward to catching up sometime soon and take care. Oh, yes, you, you. too. Getting, getting our shots taken care of everybody. Let's get on with it. We got a lot of stuff. Let's move on, people. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Marissa. Thank you. Bye, Lisa. Bye bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Voice and Beyond. Now is an important time for all of us to spread positivity and empowerment in our Singing Voice community. It's time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up for your students feeling energized, empowered and ready to deliver your best. the best role model and mentor you can possibly be and watch your students thrive as you do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague who you think will be inspired by this. Copy and paste the link and share it with the people you think will enjoy listening to this show please share it on social media and use the hashtag a Voice and beyond. If you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would love to know what it is you enjoyed the most about this episode and what was the biggest takeaway for you. I promise you there are many episodes to follow as I'm committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one. I'd like to finish up with my final thoughts. Remember that to sing is more than just learning how to use a voice. As singers, our whole body is the instrument and our bodies echo what we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. So singing is not just about the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. Please take care of yourself and I look forward to your company next time.